So I'm here with Samantha Powell. And Samantha, um, one, one question that I know we've gotten is um, you've been, uh, I think you, you, like most of us, have been stuck in your home during the pandemic. So what pandemic-related hobby have you been getting into uh, while we've all been stuck at home? Um, that's a good question. I feel like, oh God, what's a good hobby that I've been into? Um, honestly, really sadly, I've been watching a lot of Netflix which is not like a really cool answer, but I feel like I, a very real, realistic. Yeah, like answer. it's really realistic. Like I feel like I've gone through a bunch of TV shows that I wouldn't have gone through before. Um, but outside of that, like, yeah, it's just really been a lot of TV, which is really lame. I guess I've read a couple books and um, have started to do that. I'm sure I'm going to bring a couple books with me to Toronto. But uh, other than that, I've been pretty boring. Sorry, guys. <laughs> What has been, okay, well, what has been your favorite Netflix uh, thing that you have watched? Ooh, um, I think like everyone else, like Tiger King just like intrigued me in the beginning because I was like, what is this? It's so engrossing. Yeah, like I just think it's kind of wild to begin with, like the whole concept. Uh, So that would definitely be like my weird one. I think another one, like I've been watching Criminal Minds on Netflix um, and there's like a million seasons for that. So I feel like that's been my main thing. All right. Well, uh, with that, we're gonna we're gonna start talking hockey. So uh, just uh, get back and uh, get get ready to enjoy this episode of Japers Inc. Radio. And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974: the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert barrage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And today, uh, we got a start of a new season, kind of, maybe. Although, I guess it's also the old season. So, as um, Adam has started a tradition with Isabel Kershuti, and I'm here continuing that tradition with Samantha Pell. So, I guess we're kind of... Samantha, we're kind of in between a season, I guess. Like, what would we say? Is this a new season? Is this an old season? What? How, how, how are you mentally processing all of this? Yeah, it's sort of weird, right? Like... To me, it feels like a new season, but I know it's not. Like, we're preparing for the playoffs, but also there's, like, an exhibition game next week. Um, and they're in training camp, and they're playing, round, like, round-robin games that, like, aren't actually playoff games. So they're, like, non-existent in the cloud. Um, so, for me, I think I'm processing it still as an old season just because this was my first, like, full year on the Capitol, supposedly. And I feel like I never got, like, closure from that year. So, for me, like, this is, like, closure. Um, but it is it is kind of weird. Like the four month pause definitely kind of throws me off, and just like having hockey, you know, at the end of July is weird to begin with. Yeah. So one of the things that you did on the four month pause from hockey is you were writing stuff about not Washington Capitals. Uh, you were part of the Washington Post general pandemic coverage too. So I guess you kind of have a different perspective going into this kind of restart of the NHL season. So I don't know, what kind of lessons do you think we can gain from kind of how all non-sports related things have been handling the pandemic? Do you think there's lessons to be learned, maybe successes or failures from kind of that the NHL has been taking on? 
Yeah, I definitely think just, you know, reporting on the coronavirus separate from sports. I think it's been pretty eye-opening to kind of see all this, like the statistics every day come in about, you know, the number of cases and deaths and hospitalizations and seeing the different trends across the U.S. I think I kind of got like the inside track of that, of seeing how bad it was and, you know, the Florida and Arizona and Texas and California and just seeing how this virus is kind of made its way really through the country and in different ways and how, you know, different states have different ways they handle hospitalization numbers or how they report things. Um, And so when sports started to come back, I think like everyone else, I was pretty hesitant about it just because every day I was seeing all these, you know, horrible stats about there really seemed like sports should not come back. You know, as Sean Doolittle said, um, sports are, you know, a reward of a functioning society. And we really don't seem to be a functioning society right now. Um, so I think there's like obviously a fine line between what the NHL is doing with testing and making sure all their players are safe, but also making sure, you know, are those tests really coming from private companies? Could those tests not be going to public? Um, so I think there's a lot of different factors in this return, but I will say from like talking to different health experts, I think they believe that the NHL does have the best shot at really finishing their summer tournament just because of the way they're going to Canada. Um, one, one thing that they've all said to me, um, which is kind of sad, but true, like they're choosing spots in Toronto and Edmonton, that their cases are way lower, um, than in the United States. And now those areas are kind of spiking a little bit, but not as drastically as the United States. Um, so I think that's one of the main things that at least health experts have said is the NHL has a good shot because, you know, one, they're not playing in the U S they're playing in Canada. And also the way that they're conducting, you know, tests and being in the bubble when they're in Canada is actually going to be really beneficial for the league. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about Canada, uh, obviously, you talked about it a little bit that we are, Canada is just handling the virus differently than the U.S. right now. And Canada obviously has different protocols than the U.S. does. So I don't know, kind of elaborate a little more, like, why, you know, why is Canada the kind of move for the NHL? Why does it make such so much logical sense? Yeah, you know, I think first they kind of got on top of this uh, coronavirus kind of way quicker than the United States did. They just have a better way of handling it. I think their testing is also um, being handled better in Canada, just the way they're operating. Sure. Um, and so, you know, Las Vegas was a favorite, I think, on a lot of people's radars for the NHL to be a hub city. And you know, I heard Las Vegas and Vancouver were really high on the list. And then, you know, you kind of see spikes in Vegas. Vancouver had other issues, but at least in Las Vegas, I mean, it just probably wouldn't be ethical or morally ethical to hold, you know, a whole summer tournament there. Uh, So I think it was really smart for the NHL to go up and go up to Canada. Um, I'm not sure how things will completely play out in Florida with the NBA and, you know, the MLS and things like that. But, you know, the whole bubble environment that we're talking about, I think is really smart. And you've seen it, you know, even in, I think it was the NBA, they had no new positive tests um, in their latest update. The WNBA had no new tests in their update. So what these sports leagues are doing now seems to be working. Uh, it, the major hump just seems to be getting teams there with no issues, uh, which will be interesting when the NHL starts traveling on Sunday. Yeah. So I guess kind of gut check, it, it sounds like you're reasonably optimistic that, and I mean, it does sound like this is going to happen. So what, I mean, where where are we at on the just kind of uh, resumption of the season? It looks like this is going to happen, no? And like, what is there anything you think they could derail it at this point, or are we full steam ahead? Yeah, I definitely think this is going to happen. Um, 
I think everyone was pretty hesitant at the beginning of phase three when training camp started, but just, you know, being a weekend, seeing how the players kind of operate on the ice, off the ice, you know, knowing that they're getting tested every other day. There was only two positive tests in the first five days in the whole entire league for training camps. I think that's pretty encouraging um, saying that, you know, over 800 plus players reported to camps. Um, So obviously these players are taking it very seriously off the ice as well. I think the only thing that can really derail it is this last whatever it's Wednesday, um, Thursday. So the last few days before they travel to Toronto, you know, if guys aren't just going from the rink to home, if they aren't being careful, uh, I think it's going to be the getting to Toronto and Edmonton part that might start to screw things up. Uh, but what we've seen so far is, you know, guys and players and coaches being really diligent about safety protocols. So yeah, I think we are full steam ahead. Um, now, whether if one team gets it and maybe there's an outbreak amongst the team, what happens? I have no clue. I don't know if that exactly means, you know, we pause the entire tournament, if that team just, you know, removes itself and we can move forward like the MLS did. I have no clue. Um, but I think it's going to be very touch and go from this point on. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that's striking is, um, I, I guess, just covering this as a journalist is going to be strange. And I know that when we put this on Twitter, we got a couple of questions asking the inside baseball question, which <laughs> I, I we were talking a little before we started recording that that's what people really want to know about for some reason. So I will ask it like a like a dutiful uh, podcast host. Um, how is this going to work with you going to Canada? Like, I, I think that there was I know that the border is closed for non-journalists. So how is this going to work in terms of NHL coverage and how like kind of the Washington Post and you are going to handle covering this thing? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, I'm pretty lucky working at the Washington Post. We decided pretty early on that I would be going to Toronto. Um, The border was my biggest concern because I wasn't sure if journalists are essential or not. Um, But, you know, we worked some things out. Um, I have everything handled on my end. So It's really just seeing if the border agents will let me uh, across the border into Canada and then, you know, have a quarantine plan. I have to quarantine for 14 days once I get to Canada. So I'll be staying at a hotel for 14 days. Uh, I can't leave my room. I'll be getting food delivered to me every day. So I actually won't be covering like the exhibition game live or the round robin games live. Um, But I will be out in time for the first round of the playoffs. And that's kind of just what we decided as a company was it would make sense for me to go early and kind of miss the games that aren't, you know, do or die play in situation games. And pretty fortunate that the Capitals don't have to play in that, you know, best of five plan (laughs) or else it might, you know, mix up some plans. But yeah, I'm going to leave Sunday on the same day the team leaves to Toronto and be there for two weeks and then be back in arenas uh, for the first round. There you go. That's exciting. Do you have any big, uh, I mean, you're so you're gonna be. You said stuck in your room for two straight weeks. So, yeah. uh, you got any you got any big uh, plans for the two weeks? I feel like everyone <laughs> ever always says, "Well, if you just put me up in two weeks, I'll do a whole bunch of things." So, what are what are, what are do, would you have any uh, big big plans for that for that time? You know, I don't really have big plans for that time, and I feel like I should, but I haven't even like <laughs> thought about packing yet. Like that kind of stresses me out about like yeah. how much do I need to bring. Maybe for- this is the time to read War and Peace. This is just like, like maybe I actually have room in my suitcase now and I'll just like bring it. Um, But no, I mean, honestly, there's going to be so much hockey when I'm in quarantine for like 14 weeks, like starting with, you know, the exhibition games and then you move forward and it's like, what, like 10 hours of hockey a day. 
Yeah. Um, so it's going to be crazy. Like I'm still going to be watching Caps games. So we'll be reporting and doing stories from my hotel. Um, it's just, I can't, you know, like open a window and get air or uh, go outside <laughs> and walk around the block. Um, so it's going to definitely be interesting, but yeah, I'll, it'll still be like Caps all day, every day. Maybe, maybe so more so. Be living, living hockey, you know, li- probably a more literal sense than most of the time, huh? Yeah, exactly. I will literally be <laughs> I will understand what it means for these players to uh, just be in hotels and go to the rink, I guess. There you go. There you go. Um, so, okay. Like one of, one of the questions that I'm curious about is just thoughts on the format. And I'm curious kind of what the players have been saying too, because to me, it's, it's interesting that we're going to both have kind of playoff hockey and also round Robin, which who the heck really knows how those games are going to really work and whether they matter or not. So I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on the format? Do you think it's going to kind of be a little screwy or do we think that this is just kind of the best the NHL could do given the situation? You know, I I definitely think the latter. I think it is the best that they can do. Um, I think obviously they've thought of a lot of different ways to make this work. And I really think the reseeding um, after that play-in round made a lot of sense. I think before people were kind of questioning it, uh, but since they're reseeding, I think it just kind of helps the whole competition there. I think the round robin games, I've gotten so many questions on Twitter, I feel like about like, what is a round robin game? Um, yes. <laughs> like, what is this? And I'm like, you know, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I feel like those it, it are is still what, kind of It is what weird. you say it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a round robin. You play the three other teams, the best team, you know, best record. It's for seeding. It's for playoffs. Um, you know, what we're categorizing those games as playoff games. I mean, technically stats, yes. But can you really count, like, the Caps and, uh, you know, Bruins as a actual playoff game? No, because it's round robin. So it's, it's a little weird, the definitions. But I think overall, you know, once we get down to 16 teams, it's best of seven. Um, it's going to work itself out. I think the playing games are going to be highly entertaining. I think it's going to be wild. Like some of these matchups, like, you know, the Jets and the Flames are total toss-ups. So I think it'll be super interesting uh, to see how that goes. And like maybe you have a dark horse team, you know, are the Flyers after the playing game is going to be great. Um, You look at the Toronto series. I think that could be interesting. So yeah, definitely interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Have have the Capitals said how seriously they're going to be treating these games? Are they going to treat them like playoff games or are they going to kind of treat them like tune-up-y games? Has has there been any indication from the players on kind of how they're thinking about it? Yeah, I think for them, they've mentioned a few times now, like obviously they want to win every single game, uh, which is a very hockey player response. Yes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Todd Reardon has said he's going to use these games to kind of tune up a little bit. Obviously, they want to win, but they're going to try out different things. You know, you have different situations that you need to be prepared for. And, you know, at the very beginning, he was planning on having Samsonov play at least one round robin game just to see him in that situation instead of Holpe. Now, you know, we all know that Samsonov hasn't practiced as of Wednesday. Um, so, you know, maybe that turns into an issue. Do you throw Vanacek or Copley in for a round robin? Were you planning to already? Um, so they're going to try out some different things, but the Capitals lineup is pretty much that going into the playoffs. So there's not a lot of tinkering that needs to be done. Um, so these round robin games should just act as kind of, you know, okay, we're getting ready for the playoff games. Yeah. So one of the other things just from a baseline level is they have, these players haven't played hockey in four <laughs> months now, I think it is right. Three. What, yeah. what is it? Uh-huh. What is- anymore but um yeah. i think it's been three to four months somewhere in that range what are we expecting these games are going to look like i it seems like 
it could go as many as like there could be just some really wide open games or you could see coaches maybe try to simplify things as much as they can. What are you kind of expecting these games to look like? Yeah, I think they're going to be super, super fast. I think even though players really haven't been on the ice in, you know, probably three-ish months because a lot of them got back on the ice in the last month or so, um, they're all really excited. Like, you go to Capitals training camp and all the players are just super energetic and, like, super, I don't know, they're just, like, super ready to play hockey. Yeah. Um, so I, I think these games are going to be really entertaining, like I said earlier. I think there's going to be a lot of offense, I think, especially in the playing game. So this doesn't apply to the Capitals, but the playing games, I think, are all going to be about goaltending um, because, you know, you only have five games. I think it's just going to be super intense. Um, I don't know how well the defenses will do right off the bat, but I do think the offenses are going to be kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's definitely going to be interesting because, yeah, there's uh... – I, we've never done anything like this before, so I, anyone could be right. And I I wonder kind of what the predictive value of anything is really going to be, right? Because you have all yeah. these teams, and we already talk about that the playoffs are an extreme small sample size already. But, I mean, like, there's, I feel like you're adding, like, a million layers of unpredictability to it. So, I don't know, just as a kind of journalist, but also somewhat analyst, like, should we just throw out the regular season? Like, how are you kind of thinking about how how much is it going to matter what the team looked like before the pause and kind of what they're going to look like now? Yeah, I don't want to say, like, throw away the regular season, but I almost want to say throw away the regular season. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, that's, that's the headline. Um, no, but I think it's just because so many of these teams now are completely healthy. And I think that's so important headed into a playoff run, especially I think for the Capitals, you know, they're an older, they're the oldest, I think, team headed into the playoffs. I think these four months really gave them a rest time that they needed. They kind of seemed like they were running out of gas almost, uh, you know, reaching the pause. They just really weren't consistent. Defense was a little all over the place. Um, they just really weren't connecting. So I think this pause actually works really well for a team like the Capitals. Um, and, you know, probably most of the league. I think a lot of players are also kind of approaching this as it feels like a new season, even though it might not be for us. But sure. they just feel like, you know, it feels like a really long offseason. They're finally hitting the ice again. They're kind of ready to roll. And for the Capitals, I mean, they they came off of their first training camp and steamrolled people. Um, they came off to a blazing start. You know, John Carlson had a great start to the year. So if they can kind of mimic what they did at the very beginning of the first training camp, um, it could be a really dangerous Washington team. Yeah, I think that would be interesting to watch. So uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, I am going to – this is a Washington Capitals podcast, so I promise I will ask some, uh, Samantha some Washington Capitals questions. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Inc. Radio. Still here with Sam, Samantha Pell. And so, Samantha, um, you've been to Caps training camp. You've kind of seen some of the practices and everything like that. How do they look? You know, they look pretty good. I think from the very first day, like I was kind of saying before, I mean, they're all like kids at heart. I think TJ Oshie said that the other day, you know, he said, we all have kids, but we're really just all kids at heart. And that's 100% true for the Caps. I think they came back and hit the ice ready to roll. Um, you know, Tom Wilson said the other day, you know, usually he says, oh, we're just taking it one game at a time, yada, yada. But, you know, this time they really came back to win. You know, they're really focused on winning another Stanley Cup. And obviously everyone knows that the Capitals kind of have a short window now to win another cup, you know, 
Holpe's a pending free agent. Ovi and Backstrom are getting older. So this is really one of their last chances to go out and win. I think they've been taking it seriously. You had, you know, Kuznetsov and Orlov were the last ones on the ice today. Just, you know, practicing and just not really goofing around, but actually really taking it seriously at the end, just trying to get more reps in. So I think that just says a lot about this team and what they want to do. And, you know, even the younger guys are really into it. Uh, So yeah, they look pretty good. They look focused. They came in all in shape. uh, So they look ready. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we talk about is obviously the Capitals are a more veteran team. And I I feel like one of the great unknowns with the coronavirus pause is going to be is a veteran team just more likely to maybe come out of this a little more just kind of focused or anything? Is there, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Do you think the Capitals might be better, more uniquely positioned just because they're a more veteran team? Yeah, I think experience goes a long way in this. Uh, but I also think, I mean, no one's ever gone through this before. That's so true. how much how, <laughs> how much does like actual playoff experience help? Does like, anything actually matter? Yeah. Right. Like it does existing matter. Um yeah. but yeah, I just I feel like it should, right? Like experience should help in this case. You know, maybe the veterans are just more calm in these situations. Like you're going to a hotel, you're away from your families. Can you just handle the situation better than maybe a younger player who you know, really is just maybe in his only second or third year and just really has no clue what's happening and has no playoff experience in general. Um, But yeah, I think this really does help the Capitals. I think being away from family is probably the Capitals' biggest thing, just because most of them do, um, you know, have kids and stuff like that. But overall, I think it will help. Carl Hagelin said the other day, you know, a lot of teams like to have those young guys who are fresh and energetic and, you know, feel like they can really make a deep playoff run because of you know, that energy, but he said he feels like a veteran experienced group is actually maybe more beneficial in this case, just because they are calm and cool and collected and they have been through this before and having cup experience and knowing what it takes to go all the way is probably the best indicator of how well they're going to do in a kind of weird and different situation. Yeah. So Adam Stringham wants me to ask, and he posted it to both of us on Twitter, that the Capitals were pretty iffy and inconsistent going into the pause. So do we think that maybe this break came at the right time for them? Like, what do we, uh, what, what, what were kind of your general impressions on their last couple of months? And do, you, do we think that maybe a bit of a pause might have been a good thing for them or not? Yeah, I think it was a blessing in disguise for the Capitals. I think they started to trend in the right direction. Obviously, they lost in a shootout to Buffalo was their last game. and uh, But they had beat Pittsburgh the couple nights before. And I thought that was a really big turning point. I think if they lost to Pittsburgh... I think a lot of us were very worried about what would happen next um, just with the team and how they would kind of perform. But I think that win at Pittsburgh, you go to Buffalo, you fight back, you come back hard and you lose in a shootout. Um, I really feel like they could have gone on maybe a short little run or just at least maintained, um, you know, just like a 500 situation. I don't think they were going to completely, you know, tank. But I do think that this kind of restart helped reset a lot of guys I think mentally they came back maybe a lot stronger and just understand kind of what's at stake here I think the biggest part for me is defensively how are they going to work all that out on the blue line and if that can really work out I think they're going to make a huge run Um, but if not and there's still kind of inconsistencies there then you know we could see a real struggle early so talking about blue liners, uh, I'm pretty proud of that transition. Talking about blue <laughs> liners, there's been one that seems to have been attracting a decent amount of attention because he might finally actually be healthy, and that's Michael Kempney. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Kempney, 
I think admitted uh, like a few days ago that he was not a hundred percent, which I think pretty much everyone, yes. it was kind of an open secret <laughs> that he wasn't a hundred percent because a hamstring injury to a defenseman, not a great injury. So how does he look? And if the Capitals have a Michael healthy, Michael Kempney, how does that kind of impact things on, on the blue line? Yeah. Kempney looks like a normal, healthy Michael Kempney now, which is the first time I've been able to say that this season. Yeah. Um, yeah, for him, you know, he said that a couple games for him are really tough in season. He felt like he didn't have enough energy to really get his legs under him. or um, And he, you know, even Todd Reardon said that he could see Michael kind of wincing sometimes on the ice or like favoring his left side when he got hit or something like that. So I think for Kempney, it was going to take a full year since his surgery to really feel better. And he had a surgery in April 2019. So we never saw a full one year after recovery, Michael Kempney. And now we're about a year and a half-ish, a little under a year and a half. And he looks ready. Um, You know, he was training back home in the Czech Republic. He was able to skate with, you know, Jacob Vrana, David Pasternak, some of those guys when he was back home. So he looks ready to roll. And I think if he is solid and he looks like he did in the, you know, 2018 cup run next to Carlson, the Capitals could be really dangerous. Um, It's if he starts to get inconsistent again and Todd has to shift the pairings again, I think it's going to get interesting. But for right now, all we've seen at practice is Kempney and Carlson, Dylan and Orlov and Siegenthaler and Jensen. And that's your six. Yeah. Well, okay. So can we, can we talk about the, the, or cause it, I mean, it seems like, yeah, if Kent is healthy, he's going to go with Carlson. That makes sense. So how committed are the Capitals to a Dylan Orlov pair? That's cause to me, that's interesting. Cause I know that Orlov has also played somewhat with Jensen too. And towards the end, he was getting a little more, they, I think they were kind of finding a little more consistency. So it, what, what are, what are kind of the thoughts about the other kind of who is Orlov going to play with? Because I think he's, clearly going to be the stalwart of the capital second pair. So I'm kind of curious, like what your thoughts are on kind of how that's going to work. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in this Dylan Orlov second pairing. I think obviously a lot of people will point to Jensen kind of finding his stride there. He was working on the second pair with Orlov. Um, but I think Siegenthaler Jensen is also really interesting and actually a really good solid third pairing. Yeah. That's uh, an interesting mix of or it kind of fit there, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think Stegenthaler obviously has so much upside. He's so young. Jensen, you know, obviously is was getting better towards the end and finding his groove. But as far as Orlov and Dylan, I mean, the biggest, I think, gripe a lot of people will say is oh, Orlov's on his offside. He's going to play on his right. Uh, Dylan obviously is going to stay on the left. But they've been really committed to that in practice. You know, Todd's talked about how he's really comfortable with Orlov on the offside. He feels like with Dylan, it kind of, clear space for Orlov and Dylan can kind of set Orlov up um, just on the ice. And so I think that pairing works really well. Orlov talked today and told us, you know, he's obviously fine playing on his offside. Uh, He said he played it, you know, growing up as a kid in Russia, he was always playing on the right side. And then once he came to the Capitals, they're the ones that moved him to the left. So he feels ready for it. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see exactly how it works in a playoff scenario. But obviously he's a vet, you know, and you just kind of have to trust him at that point to make sure he makes the right decisions and know where, you know, know where he's supposed to be. But as far as just in camp, those guys look pretty good together. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question and I think I know the, well, I'm cheating. I know (laughs) the answer to this uh, because we talked about it before, but uh, what is going on with uh, Ilya Samsonov? You know, I have zero clue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely zero clue. Um, yeah, you know, again, like per the NHL and NHLPA policy, they're not allowed to tell us anything. Um, all they can say is, you know, this player is absent from practice. Another buzzword is he's unfit to play. Um, so yeah. yeah, Samsonov is the only capital that has not hit the ice yet. Uh, that's on the 34 man training camp roster. And I would say it's, it's July 22nd today. And I think now is the time to get a little bit worried. Um, <laughs> I think we all started to get a little worried earlier in the week, um, you know, towards the end of last week. But I think as of now, if you're the Capitals, you have to be concerned if you do not know what's going to be happening with Samsonov. If it's not a day-to-day thing, if it's a, you know, a longer situation, um, I think for the Capitals, the best case scenario is that Samsonov can be on that flight to Toronto on Sunday. And then you just like work it out from there. Um, you have to trust that he can get up to speed fast enough if he were to be put into a playoff situation. But again, I have zero clue, as all of you do, uh, about what exactly is happening with him. Again, you know, players can be out for multiple reasons. It could be an injury. It could be a positive coronavirus test. It could be he was exposed to somebody else who is positive. Now he has to quarantine. It could be that his tests are inconclusive every single day and they do not know if he is positive or negative, or it's just something completely, you know, extraneous and out of our control. Um, So it's kind of, it is kind of frustrating and confusing to say that we don't know what's happening with him. Um, But yeah, we do not know what's happening with him. (laughs) I mean, so I feel like at this point, it seems like it's going to be Holpe ride or die for the playoffs, huh? Yes, it's definitely, if it wasn't Holpe's net before, for sure, it is definitely Holpe's net now. Uh, now the biggest story might be if Samsonov is not in Toronto for some reason and he does not travel, who is your backup? Yeah. Um, is it Vanacek or is it Copley? I think Copley makes sense as your number two because obviously he's just older, wiser, has kind of been in that position before. But could Vanacek maybe get a round-robin game in? Could he play a period of a round-robin game? Um, who knows? But definitely both of them have gotten work in with the big group. And we'll see what Friday's scrimmage looks like. They're going to kind of do a full dress rehearsal, start at 4 p.m., do a whole hour-and-a-half deal. So maybe Vanacek gets time in there and impresses. But, yeah, that's the next biggest question for the Caps. Yeah, absolutely. So the other big question um, is... Talk about forwards. Um, Eller and Haglin, um, Lars Eller and Carl Haglin, uh, are both going to leave and come back, it sounds like, right? Because uh, I think both of their wives are, are giving birth. So how the heck is that going to work? And <laughs> what are some of the downstream effects to the Capitals of them leaving and coming back? Yeah, so for right now, Lars Eller is the bigger concern than Carl Haglin. Carl Haglin's wife, uh, is pregnant, but she's not due until September. Oh, um, okay. So Carl Haglin, that's more like a if, when, and how situation of if the Capitals make it that far. Is it early September? Is it late September? Like, I don't know. Plans can change there. Um, but Lars Eller, at least for right now, is the bigger problem. Um, his wife is supposed to give birth on August 8th. Right now is the due date, which is right before the Capitals' last round robin game against the Bruins, which is August 9th. So let's pretend in the ideal world that August 8th is the due date. Uh, You would expect Lars to probably leave right after that second round Robin game for the Capitals, which is August 6th. And maybe he gets back in time for the third uh, game of the first round, maybe the second game. But how this works is a player can leave the bubble and come back, you know, 
due to family circumstances. So the birth of a child is definitely on that list. So Eller can leave, and then when he comes back, he has to return four negative tests over a period of four days. And if he doesn't, then he's basically quarantined until he does. So basically, that's a four-day period of once you come back. Um, It's all up to him about how long he wants to stay there, you know, how early he wants to leave, et cetera. But obviously, they've been planning this for a long time. You know, Raiden has talked to Eller about this for a while. And so I'm sure they have a plan of exactly when he would like to leave and come back. But those are kind of the basic rules for players. Sure. Um, So one of the players that might be affected by this, a a player you've written about and a player that I know Luke from our site is possibly in love with is uh, Connor (laughs) McMichael. Um, I think everyone is. Yeah. um, Yeah. uh, Luke, you're getting your Connor McMichael mention, so be happy with me. Um, (laughs) So he's been at camp um, and it seems like obviously in the minors, he looked very, very good. So do the Capitals see a role for Connor McMichael and what could that role be? Yeah, I think obviously for right now, we're still kind of early in the Connor McMichael era. Um, I think a lot of people would expect him to need a couple more years. Obviously, you look at the center position and you're stacked. You have Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Eller, and then now you have Dowd in at the fourth line. So there really isn't any room for McMichael. Um, However, in this scenario with Eller leaving the bubble, there could be a shot for McMichael to play. But I do believe that that's Travis Boyd's spot first and foremost. So maybe let's say Eller leaves and another player gets hurt or he's absent to, or whatever, unfit to play, however they want to call it. Then maybe you put Boyd in at that spot as the winger um, and then you put McMichael in a center. And I think McMichael has been kind of proving his worth here in training camp and also obviously the first training camp. And he's looked really good, uh, honestly. And I think the Capitals would be comfortable with bringing him to Toronto and kind of putting him in that role. But that's only if a, I would say that's like a plan C situation. Sure. The plan B is Travis Boyd will go in and fill Lars Eller's spot uh, for how many games Lars is gone. That doesn't mean that McMichael might not get a shot at that in the round robin game. Again, just a little tinkering just to see how he would do under pressure. Um, but yeah, I would say don't expect McMichael to have a huge role in these playoffs. But if guys do get hurt, I would not shock me if they were to throw him in. Now, they also have other guys like a Daniel Sprong, who's looked great in camp. I think he's been a huge surprise um, playing on the wing. He just kind of looks like he's built as an NHL player, and he looks like he belongs. So I would expect him to also kind of get that next shot, too. Yeah, You're making Luke a happy man because (laughs) he has also written about Daniel Sprong, which a player that, yeah, it was kind of an afterthought, right? But uh yeah, you might, you might actually, is there any other, I mean, we talk about black aces, right? And are there any other ones that we could see playing a role? I know that yeah, people have been talking about Alexiev a little bit. Is there any other kind of guys to keep an eye on? Um, I would say Martin Ferrari. Okay. Um, defensively. I mean, we've seen him in NHL games, obviously, um, during the regular season. I think if he gets a shot, if someone goes down, I mean, again, I do think like a Radko Gudis would be, that first defenseman to go up for one of them. Um, but maybe they want to try Ferivari. Uh, obviously, he was absent at practice today. Um, it was the first time that he was missing from a session. So we'll see if that's serious. We'll see if he's back tomorrow or Friday for the scrimmage. But I would say he could be a difference maker. I just think he's kind of proved that he can go out and be calm, cool, collected, and kind of just go out and do his job. So sure. I would say that's probably the other name if you know things hit the fan and they need another defenseman. 
Yeah. So I'm going to conclude with a couple of uh, adjacent questions about the Capitol. So for one, I guess the question we've all been discussing, and I'm curious your thoughts on it, is just how much does the season actually matter? And will the cup be worth in this? And I know that the running joke that every fan base ever has said is that if we win it, it's the most important cup and they overcame a ton of adversity. And if we lose, it doesn't matter because it was a fluky, weird thing. So what, what are you thinking about in terms of how are the players viewing what a Stanley Cup win would look like? And does it what, what are, what are, what, what's kind of the thinking around this? Yeah, I think from a player perspective, they're like, you know, if we go out and win a cup, it's still a cup. Like, they're going to celebrate like it's still a cup. Um, you know, I think it's going to be weird with them celebrating with no fans on the ice yes. um, and all that. But they're going to celebrate like they want to stay in the cup, especially the Capitals. I think, obviously, winning a second one to them would be everything. Um, but, yeah, you know, again, players have said that winning the cup under these circumstances would just kind of prove to be another obstacle. It's more adversity, um, which I do think is true. And I think, I think there will be an asterisk on winning the cup this season, but maybe it could go both ways, right? It's an asterisk because it's so difficult because there's so much adversity, but also it's an asterisk because you're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Like, (laughs) like no one's done this before. You can't expect it to be like a hundred percent like it normally is. So I think it's going to be impressive any way you look at it. Um, It's just going to be different. So, yeah. There you go. Uh, So no, no asterisk cup, it sounds like, from the player's perspective. Um, one player that might be winning a little bit more hardware um, is John Carlson, who was very unsurprisingly announced as a uh, Norris finalist. Um, what, what are we thinking about? Uh, it seems like it's going to be either him or Roman Yossi. Is, is your thinking that this is probably still Carlson's to lose, or did he maybe lose it in the last half of the year? Yeah, I feel like I was really confident that Carlson would win it, and then kind of seeing... I guess maybe the stats and kind of like the discourse on Twitter, it seems like Yossi, obviously who had a great season in in itself, um, might have just maybe kind of pushed ahead of Carlson. Just if everyone's kind of looking at all-around player, all-around stats, I still think Carlson maybe deserves it a little bit more just in terms of how many records he did set and, you know, that pace he had to start the season. I think, you know, another thing to do with it is a lot of people kind of count out Carlson because of the players around him. Uh, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, you know, John has Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov and all these guys surrounding him to help him out. Um, so I think that's the main argument against John. So I, I'm still sticking with Carlson will win the Norris, but I think it's going to be very, very close. Yeah. OK, so final question. Um, and before this, I'm going to go into a little bit of an aside. Uh we got a question that was uh, asking Samantha her favorite capital. Uh, again, Samantha Pell is a journalist, so <laughs> a, that that's not like a super cool question. But we're gonna I'm gonna flip this question though. So Samantha Pell, what is your favorite state capital? <laughs> um, let's see, my favorite state capital. I'm gonna go with Phoenix, Arizona, okay. because <laughs> I went to school at ASU. Um, and honestly, I've never been to Washington. I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I've never been to the Washington capital, which is Olympia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Phoenix. It's hot. It's warm. It has good food. Um, really good food there. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. All right. I like that. Okay. 
So uh, with that, uh, Samantha, um, it's great to have you back on. Uh, I love to keep having you on. Um, I think the tradition, it seems to be around these parts, is uh, right before a playoff round. So uh, we'll uh, we'll try to try to see if we can get get you back then. Um, but for that, uh, where can people find your stuff and your various musings? Yeah, I'm definitely on Twitter all the time. So it's Samantha J. Pell. Um, that's where I'll post all my stuff. I'll probably post a lot of my quarantine updates on twitter maybe on instagram uh we'll see but if so i'll like post my instagram on my twitter but yeah definitely check out my twitter we'll have a bunch of hockey content coming up and yeah excited to get to toronto there you go there you go and uh with that thank you for listening to this episode of japers rank radio if you like this show please rate rate subscribe review do all of those things and uh thanks so much to samantha Powell. i think next week we're gonna probably just do a me and adam show uh although we're gonna see uh but yeah so uh thank you so much to samantha and uh stay tuned next week